0: and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We're back with Hallie Webking of Meadowlark Organics to talk about managing risk when marketing in a regional local food hub. Hear about the hot local grain market and opportunities for collaborative marketing. Hallie Webking and her husband, John, run Meadowlark Organics, working with Paul Bickford on his 800 acre farm, shifting the focus from organic feed crops to a diversity of food grade small grains, buckwheat, edible dry beans, and open pollinated corn. Hallie is mom to two young kids, Henry and Lida, and a grass-fed beef herd just to make sure she keeps busy. We are back with Hallie Webking of Meadowlark Organics, talking of uh, this time about the bigger pictures of managing risk in your farm business. Mm-hmm. And it would love to talk more about looking at things from, as I know you do, the regional side and the regional food hubs as those things grow. How do you Define your region or your ideal region of where you would want to be selling your grains.
1: Yeah. Um, I think uh, we think of our region as probably really focused around Madison, Milwaukee, and Chicago. but So relatively,
0: I mean, regional, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and part of that is because there are other farmers and other millers and other people doing these things in other regions. And we want people to support the people who are close to them doing the good work that they're doing. So Mm -hmm. if we get questions from people in Pennsylvania, we say, oh, go check out Small Valley Milling. Um, You know, you don't have to buy from us. Like, there are other farmers that you can support that are close by. That's Um, great. And
0: that's so... What defies traditional business models, yeah. right? <laughs> like, don't you want to grow? Don't you want to conquer right. the entire country, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But, no,
1: I mean, our real goal is to just get more people around us, you know, baking with fresh
0: local flour. So, so collaboration is a strategy to managing risk. It's <laughs> yeah. often overlooked. Too yeah,
1: I think so. I think definitely. I think, you know, we learn from the people who have, who have already gone through a lot of what we're going through, like up in... New York, um, farmer farm ground flour and the green city markets with their green city grain table is like, um, such a model and so many you know allies to ask questions. And so, what are they
0: doing? Let me like say green city grains, that's, yeah. So, that's the name of the mark, a big organic market in New green York, green city, city market,
1: right? yeah. Um, is and they they basically aggregate regional grains and they have a farmers market stand at several different markets in the oh, city. Oh, so all together like a little mini mm-hmm. store. Yeah, and they cool. have I don't know at least like probably over a hundred different SKUs, So a hundred different products from many different farms from Pennsylvania, New York, um, New Jersey. You know, they're real. they real region. Vermont even and. Uh, and so that's a really cool model because obviously it's not just about one single farmer um, and I think you know the other the other thing I think about when I think about risk is like for us it's really important to know to like know which accounts as far as wholesale in particular to pursue because you don't want to run out you know when you oh, sure. when you're dealing with a customer who has an expectation you're already asking them to change, to change to a product that is inevitably going to be a little less consistent than their king arthur flour. So, you have to understand that. You also have to understand that bakers and chefs aren't willing to change their recipe all the time. You can ask them to do it once a year maybe. And when the new like when the new crop comes in, you know, and so you can have you can guarantee that you have enough to supply somebody for a year. Um but if you run out halfway through or two-thirds of the way through, it causes real problems. And, and those, you just can't make it Yeah, enough. and those customers aren't going to want to work with you because they it's too much work for them. And I think you have to we have to understand that and be very cognizant of how we can um, make sure that we can supply people for a good stretch of time and just be really open about communicating um, those limitations so you can't, like, you know, try to be on the shelf at Whole Foods and try to be at the biggest bakery and try to be in the fanciest
0: restaurant. like So being careful and, yeah, and cautious, yeah. whatever the word might be, but not overextending. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's an issue. That's huge. And then, too, you have the variables of climate mm-hmm. and weather yeah. year to year. What are some of the biggest factors on the weather side yeah, for grains? Yeah,
1: so um, – you know, we Wisconsin used to grow a lot of wheat. Um and then we, you know, that kind of monoculture kind of killed our fertility and that's part of why we transitioned to um you know, growing alfalfa and becoming the dairy state. Um Really? So,
0: so when about
1: did that happen? I think it was the early to mid 1800s. Um, but uh
0: So, a while ago, the impacts are still here. Yeah. But but the learnings, too.
1: Right. And so, a lot of wheat production moved west of the Mississippi, in part because there's lower rainfall in general out there, or has been historically. Um, So, east of the Mississippi, it's harder to grow small grains because uh, the risk of disease is really linked to the amount of rain that we get. Oh, interesting. Um, Yeah. So, there are certain diseases, like if it's... If it's raining at the time when your grain is flowering, you have a higher chance of having um, a disease called uh, Dawn, which produces something called vomitoxin, which knocks it out of a food-grade market. Um, so, you know, there... And that can happen like that yeah, quick. Yeah. Wow. So there are those things that are obviously issues. And we've had two really strange years. You know, last year it was really wet Um like mid to late summer this year was a really wet and cold spring to early summer so we're you know fingers crossed hoping that our crop will be okay but for sure climate is a definite um, factor and a risk
0: oh yeah and how do you manage that i mean you're diversified as yeah as
1: diversification you- really helps like um, that one specific disease, it overwinters in grasses. So you don't grow grass on grass. Like you don't follow wheat after corn, oh. um, and unless you're doing like really heavy tillage, which we avoid, um, because you can bury it deep in the soil. But if we're not doing that kind of tillage, we don't have that kind of, um, option to eliminate that disease risk so yeah diversification is really important focusing on your rotation making sure that you're mitigating risk in that way and then you know some of it is visible so it can come down to when you're combining to avoiding plots that look infected because it produces like a light whitish pink um kernel basically this disease does um so you can avoid fields or you can turn the fan up really high on your combine and blow out all the light stuff. Um, and then also cleaning. We've invested a lot on our farm in grain cleaning infrastructure, and so because you
0: need to do that before you bring it to the mill.
1: Yeah, we need to do that before it goes into the grain bin, so you get out all your, you know, your green matter, your weed seeds, um, so that it can dry down evenly. And then you need to do that before it goes to market, whether it's a distillery or like a bigger grain buyer or the local mill.
0: And it sounds like too that from the grain lens, it's very say, dependent, but it's in a good way dependent on collaboration and other partners, For sure. your mill, your, you know, all the, and how, how do you manage that in that these are long-term relationships often, but they're also upstart businesses too, probably, yeah. right? You're all growing together. You're like a little group of kids. Right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It certainly has its challenges and it definitely has its rewards too. I was just at the Practical Farmers of Iowa conference and talking about how like grain is inherently based on community. You know, the beginning mm. of civilization, like communities harvested together. They because uh, nobody had like together. their four
0: wheat plants, right? Right. I mean, it just, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and and even now, even with our big combines, when you re-regionalize the grain system instead of sending gr- loads of grain on semis or train cars, like you know, far far away from you. Um, you're employing more people with these gra- both the grain cleaning and the milling, um, and then when you're engaging with local businesses who are using mills or using locally grown grain, it's you know everybody from brewers, distillers, bakers, chefs, um, and then obviously to the consumers once they start to really understand like why it's important or ways that it's important to um, support the local grain movement, but. I think you know it's a it's a dance between protecting yourself in your in your growing business and um, and being willing to collaborate too you know um, so the, the less fun side of it is obviously you need to have liability insurance like we have our own liability insurance for our flower. Um, and also you know Lonesome stone has theirs um, that's a mill yeah and. Um, and then beyond that, you know, it's um, it's uh, just being aware of how important it is to communicate to all of your consumers the risks that they're taking on when they're buying your product, you know, how, how the storage might be different or might require, you know. A, oh, interesting. Yeah.
0: yeah just, is it... Is it, is it Shorter shelf life. It has a,
1: sh- yeah, because it's just the grain and, you know, some of the bran is sifted off in some of our flours, but otherwise it's like relatively volatile compared to um, flour that has been roller milled and may or may not have
0: preservatives in it. Oh, that's really interesting. So perhaps helping your customers buy less or buy what they need or buy more often right right restocking yeah
1: i mean on our on our package we say store cool and consume quickly kind of as like a nudge to um say like use this you know don't treat it like you know it's gold dust or something but um use it use it often and also take care in the way that you store it Mm -hmm. um, because it it prefers to be kept cold and dry Cold meaning
0: in the refrigerator. Yeah, or we say
1: yeah, we say fridge or freezer oh, okay. um, to preserve shelf life and uh, nutritional quality and flavor. Mm-hmm. But it can also sit on your you
0: know your shelf for three
1: months. But right. we go through more than two pounds in like a week. So.
0: That's great. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. It's education because people don't. I have things right. sitting you know in pantries right. that you just forget about or you don't use or you overbuy. Yeah. But it's a different way of approaching things. Yeah. Do you tend to, as far as the consumer market, get more of the experienced bakers or do you see more people baking, period? Is it is it a...
1: It's kind of a mix. You know, we at the farmer's market, I think it's funny because sometimes our biggest sellers are like polenta and our dry beans, which is not at all uh, wheat or other small grains. But, um, you know, there are plenty of people who say, oh, I don't bake. And also we're doing a farmer's market in the summer and not everybody wants to turn their oven on. But... um. They don't bake, but, they are, uh, but they'll are. But they cook a batch of polenta or they will make some beans or whatever. Um, so it's kind of a mix because you also get the people who are super into sourdough bread baking and um, know the different varieties that we grow already. And then you get the people who are curious and looking for advice and guidance really how to get started. So it's kind of all over the board.
0: But it's one of those things, too, that works in partnership with other businesses entirely. right? Yeah. I mean, as far as it brings the farmer's market full circle. Mm-hmm. I find it fascinating that, as you were saying, that grains are kind of the last piece of the local food pie, really, in yeah. a way that you just wouldn't think because so many things use grain. Right. A finding, too, that there's an increased number of health-conscious consumers as far as... Yeah. The breads, the carbs, the sure. types of grains.
1: Yeah. For all health think, reasons. I think, you know, it's an interesting time also. I think it would have been maybe a little harder a couple years ago when gluten-free was such a big trend, and it still is now. But, um, you know, there are obviously people who have real celiac disease and can't consume wheat products at all. Um, and then there are people who are gluten-sensitive or avoiding it for different reasons, Um and we get people who are who come and are concerned about the use of glyphosate in conventionally grown wheat because it's often used as a desiccant to dry down grain before oh. it's harvested. And there's there have been studies that show that there's a residue that makes it even into your flour. So we get people who are concerned about that and are excited to buy organic grain. Um, and then you know we get people who have were had stopped eating wheat for several years and then try some of our heritage varieties and they're like i can eat this now and they're so excited because they missed bread and pastries um so I've that's a really that, like cool thing like some folks who
0: think they're sensitive to wheats actually it maybe the over processed ones or yeah, the commercially for sure. available ones yeah
1: um there's actually um at our field day, we had a woman, her name is Lisa Kissing Cusack, who uh, did her graduate work at Cornell. And one of the papers that she's published is about um, what is really coming into play when people think they have a gluten sensitivity. And there's something called fructans, which is not uh, specific to wheat at all. It it exists in many other foods that people have the same um, experience. And so Or, you know, versus celiac versus modern varieties or heritage varieties and what that all means for digestibility. Just really interesting.
0: But another diversification area as far as the consumer base goes. That's probably only increasing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverist, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kivrist of techsocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.